Good morning. Thank you for being here in person. And those of you joining us online, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, where's Bob? There he is. Bob, if you steal the preaching stool, you got to preach. So, no, I'm just kidding. He, he, he actually, I appreciate what, what he brought. And that Tom Brady card, I do want on that list. So, um, I mean, Bob's kind of an Ohio State guy. So I don't even get why a Michigan man would send Ohio State a, a Christmas card. But anyway, thank you for, for what you shared, Bob. We are in the middle of a series we began actually last week, uh, A Kingdom for Christmas. Because ultimately what this time of year, you hear that word Advent, and we hear the word Christmas, and we have a, we have a picture of what that looks like. And it's really based on our picture of that kingdom. You know, what we're used to Christmas looking like. But if we were to dig through scripture, we would, we would discover that there is a kingdom that God inaugurated during Advent, when Jesus first showed up at Christmas 2,000 years ago, that looks quite a bit different from what we're used to. And so last week, we, we really began with this idea that we're faced with a choice between two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom, and there's our kingdom. And really, God's kingdom, if we, re- if we really pray, and we really want, as Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, God, then we just have to know that's going to butt up against my kingdom's comfort. It's just going to do it. And so we began there last week um, because when, when Jesus showed up, we discovered there are these, far, these, these visitors from a far off land. And they came to the king, King Herod, Herod the Great, and they said, where's the king? And you can imagine if you're king in the capital and you hear people saying, where's the king? You'd probably be a little upset. In fact, we read about it this way. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, before we dive into that, I need to talk to you about a, um, I just, I need the church to resolve something for me, because my wife and I have had this dispute about a disturbance in our household, and it happens to be this Christmas decoration right here, okay? First of all, is this a Christmas decoration? Raise your hand if you think yes. All right, I think I'm having my point proven right now, okay? I think this is a pine tree that wants to be a palm tree is what I think it is, okay? So I saw this out when, when my wife had, we basically have a deal. I decorate the outside of the house, Kara decorates the inside, and she does a phenomenal job. I just got to this and I just went, that, that needs to come down. That is truly a disturbance, okay? Because it wasn't, it wasn't my picture, of what it needs to look like. And so um, let's just, honey, do you mind if I put this up to a vote? Perfect. Okay. (laughs) Who thinks this should stay? Oh, see, the women in here are changing sides right now. Who thinks, okay, who thinks this needs to go? Thank you. All right. I already know I'm sleeping on the couch tonight, but it won't be with that in the room. So. (laughs) Uh. I'm glad we got through that. We can close in prayer now. All right. <clears throat> See, every single one of us, you know what happened at Christmas? Jesus showed up, and of course, as we talked about last week, we have these words like hope and peace and joy and, and all kinds of these words at Christmas. But the truth is, Christmas, when it first happened, it was disturbing for people. Not just for King Herod. Who, who you find out, he, he really did some great things. We'll get into that next week. But Herod was also a tyrant. 
And so this new kingdom that he couldn't be king of was incredibly, incredibly disturbing for him. And it's because it's not just Herod, it's human nature. We will place the king of our wants on the throne of our lives. You got to know that about yourself. And I got to know that about myself. We will work hard to place the king of our wants on the throne of our lives. And we'll work hard to keep him there. Years ago, we worked... um, with the, the high school group, and we're on this youth trip. And as we were heading out to California, we stopped at a gas station. We had told everybody, you know, bring about $150 for spending money. And this kid on day one, day one, he comes out of the gas station, and he's got this, this package. And he said, Nathan, look what I got. And I was like, that's a CD player. This is late 90s, okay? That's a CD player, early 2000s. And I went, how, how much did that cost? He's like, $100. I was like, how much did you bring for like food and spending money? He's like, $130. I was like, we're going to California. You're, you're going to blow that on like french fries today, you know? And, and this is what we do though. It's this thing inside him that he saw it. He went, I want that. I don't need that, but I want it. And as much as I point at that and go, I shake my head, I think we all do it. We work really, really hard to keep the king of our wants on the throne of our lives. And this is what Herod and all Jerusalem were really dealing with in the moment. They're faced with a choice like you and me. Which kingdom is going to reign? Which kingdom am I going to work for the progress of? Which kingdom do I want to see advance? And so they were disturbed. And we got into one of the reasons they would have been so disturbed last week. It's because Herod and the way he ruled and the way he lived, it trickled out to the rest of Jerusalem. See, Herod in power, he wasn't their favorite. In fact, people detested him. But the one thing that the people got from Herod is they got their own kingdom's comfort. They got to live the way that felt good to them, the way their flesh desired. And so Herod represented a king who would at least allow them that. Sure, he raised the taxes. Sure, he he went about his ways and he operated with himself in mind. But he also allowed the people to have some comforts that really weren't that beneficial for them. And so, King Herod and all Jerusalem were disturbed. And as you begin to dig through this story in Matthew chapter 2, which is where we're going to be all of December, as we begin to walk through it, you begin to see just throughout Matthew chapter 2 the different things we'll do. Because it wasn't just exclusive to them. The different things we'll do to keep our kingdom front and center. You see it at, at the, near the beginning of the chapter. Listen, listen to Matthew chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, this is Herod, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And notice their immediate answer. It wasn't, I don't know. They knew exactly where he was. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, this is the prophet Micah, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you want to know the first defense that we put up when it comes to deciding between whether to protect and defend our kingdom or to be open to and surrender to to God's kingdom, the first defense is we'll ignore what we know. Do you notice what happened there? There There was no wondering. 
the priests and the teachers of the law knew exactly where this Messiah was going to be born. And yet, where are they? If you knew where he was going to be born, you want to say to him, why aren't you there? Why aren't you welcoming him? Now, this was a couple years after Jesus was born. But why aren't you there? Why aren't you in the proximity of this Messiah? Instead, they're five miles away in the capital, seemingly unconcerned about where this Messiah was at. See, this is what we do. It's so easy to go, well, I I know. I know it's true. But I just, I don't want to go there because I want to preserve my kingdom. I want to be comfortable. They're five miles They're five miles from the Messiah, and yet there they remained in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, visitors from a far-off land. Isn't that interesting? There's a great irony there. Visitors from a far-off land go to see the Messiah, while those within miles don't make the effort. See, what they were dealing with is this opinion they had formed in their minds. And maybe a better phrase for it is ignorance. Ignorance. And ignorance is a process. Ignorance is a process that that follows a very well-worn path. First, we're confronted with, and every single one of us knows this, as you go through this life, in fact, I think you experience it more and more as you go through, as you get older. You you encounter information that maybe goes against a long-held, strong-held, cherished belief. And at that point, you are faced with a choice. Every single one of us is. Am I going to update the way I live in light of what I've just discovered? Or am I going to resist it and refute it? And human nature lead, leans toward one of those choices. And it is rarely to adapt because it takes a lot, a lot of effort. A lot of effort to stay firm in our convictions, bold in our actions, and yet humble enough to admit that maybe the conclusions we come to don't fully align with the kingdom of God found in Jesus Christ. And that's hard, isn't it? And so what we do is we opt for staying safe. If I just ignore it, it'll go away. We stay safe. And we sacrifice being correct for being right. Right? Have you walked around? Gone, ah, I'm right. I-, I know I'm right. Deep down, I'm right. I'm not going to argue with anybody anymore. I just know I'm right. This, this uh, was especially true in a news story that I read. This was in Florida in 2017. A police officer had pulled over a man, and as he was just looking around the car, his years of experience and his training told him that there was like this rock-looking, shiny rock-looking substance, just like a, like a glaze, on the floor of the car. And so he arrested the driver of the car for possession of methamphetamine. And so a couple of weeks went by, and... Um, a couple of tests came back that basically confirmed what the officer thought. They said, yes, this is with high, high probability, this is a narcotic. Well, about a month later, a lab test came back that actually examined the chemical that was on the floorboards there. You know what it was? The glazing of a Krispy Kreme donut. <laughs> Here's this guy with years of experience, years of training, And any of us in his shoes probably would have done the same thing. And yet, he's faced with these facts. That chemically, this is not meth. It looks a lot like it. But it's a Krispy Kreme donut. Now, here's my question. Here's what bugs me more about the story. Why is it on the floorboards? Are you throwing them while you drive? Eat them. Anyhow. So our first defense. We will often ignore what we know. But then a second one, as you go through the chapter... You see another very human 
very natural defense that we put up. Listen to this in verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time this star that they had followed appeared. Verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Let me just ask you, even if you're hearing this story for the first time, does Herod want to go worship this king? No, because he was disturbed in the first place. And if you know anything about Herod's background, you know he was not excited to go worship this king. But see, the second thing we'll do, and you see it in his statement here, we will not only ignore what we know, but we'll manipulate for our own advantage. And see, this is the struggle for us, especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. You know what's very easy to do? It's very easy to begin to get into this land of lingo where we talk about God, maybe we know some churchy words, we'll throw them out there. You know, words like Herod used, worship. You know, we, we, have, we have other examples. I'll get to those in a, in a moment here. But this is often what we do. We try to create an appearance that, oh yeah, I'm for him as well. Someone once said that the adversary that we have, Satan, he majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. And he'll use the dynamics of those to cause us to go into basically fight or flight mode, where we defend our own beliefs, our own kingdoms. And this is certainly what's going on with Herod. We'll just defend, defend, protect, protect, fight against, or, or run from. What maybe God is disturbing. Maybe God meant for this disturbance, and yet here's Herod totally missing out on it. But the way he's going to get close, the way Herod's going to go about trying to get what he wants is to put out this impression that manipulates, that manipulates the appearance of his relationship with this Messiah. We've done this. We've done this. Uh, Recently, I was talking to somebody who said, well, I've come to this decision because I've prayed about it. And I went, okay, I'm, I'm glad to hear you prayed about it, but what did you pray I mean, I know I, I might have mentioned this last week, but I need to ride this wave because it could be another 10 years. For 10 years, I prayed for Michigan to destroy Ohio State, okay? And it didn't happen, but I kept praying for it. See, we'll, we'll pray according to our kingdom, won't we? We'll pray in a way that says, God, just make what I want. Just, just make happen what I want to happen, won't we? See, when you get to the Ten Commandments and we hear, don't take the Lord's name in vain, we, we immediately think of using it irreverently. And usually that gets attached to like swearing and cussing. But there's another, there's another angle on that. That we can often use God's name to go about the pursuit of things that are not of God. And that's exactly what Herod is doing here. Exactly what he's doing. There's, a, there's an author named Darren Spoo. And he says this. You'll see it up on the screen here. He says, I must confess my natural suspicion toward people who regularly say things like God told me or God spoke to me and said. While I can't determine whether they have a direct line to God, I've chosen to follow a simple practice. If I believe that God has given me clear direction, I tell no one. My secrecy isn't embarrassment. My silence isn't spiritual shyness. My reason for secrecy is that I know all too well my tendency to manipulate people and impose my will to control outcomes. 
It's too easy to disguise my own opinions as God's will with the proclamation God told me. I also remain silent not because I lack faith in God, but because I don't trust myself. If a matter is truly God's will, it will be accomplished without my having to say so. And I read that and I just thought, oh my goodness, that's convicting, isn't it? But too often we can get so comfortable with assuming we know what God would want. I had a friend in high school. I remember we were at a football game over at Mullen High School. And he, uh, he that night, um, he had made some poor choices and he showed up at this game. And um, he was just in a bad state of mind. And on his way out of the game, he picked up like a river rock that was part of some landscaping. Put it right through the windshield of a Corvette. And as we were walking away, he said, he said I, I, I'm fine. My parents will bail me out. Because he'd been used to being bailed out. Well, this had finally been far enough. And what do you think mom and dad did? He was 18. And so the hardest realization he, he had in a long time, maybe his whole life, was that night when the police arrested him. And mom and dad didn't bail him out. But see, isn't that, we can do that, can't we? We can kind of presume upon God that, oh, God, you'll, I know exactly what you'll do. And it, and it fully aligns with what I want. Well, maybe not. See, we'll ignore what we know. We'll, we'll manipulate the appearance because we think we know how God works and that we can work him. But there's a third defense, and it comes up as you go through the chapter. You know, there's, there's a brief part of Matthew chapter 2 where the, these wise men from the east, the magi, they go and they visit Jesus to see him. And we'll get to that on Christmas Eve. But while they're visiting and they've seen Jesus, they're warned in a dream, don't go back the way you came because Herod is going to try to kill. And he's going to try to kill a lot, as we'll see. Verse 16, when Herod realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. See, those first two defenses are very subtle, aren't they? It's, it's pretty easy to ignore maybe what you, what you know to be true, and you, you may not have people pointing that out. And it could even be easy to manipulate the appearance of a relationship with this Messiah. But this is much more loud. This is the shout of our lives. We can destroy what was meant to give us life. We can absolutely destroy what was meant for life. I mean, you look at the history of Herod. And, and it was said by Augustus that it was far better to be Herod's pig than one of his sons. And the reason he said that is because Herod would stop at, there was nobody he wouldn't eliminate to keep his reign on the throne. And so he had done away with his first wife, had her executed. He had multiple children that he executed because in his head, he began to get so distorted that he thought they were out to take his power. And so as he looked at this Messiah, this king, born king of the Jews, Herod decided there was no other option than to put up this fierce defense to destroy, literally destroy, 
all the boys in the vicinity, two years of age and under. And this is what we'll do, isn't it? I mean, we've seen it the last couple years. Cancel culture, right? It's this phrase that we keep using, cancel culture. And really the whole idea behind that is not new. You see it here. Anything that doesn't line up with what we think, with our beliefs, we'll censor it. And if we see it as a threat, we'll get rid of it, won't we? We absolutely will. You know, this last year, the thing that I think has jumped out the most, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul and his writings, you know what he says? He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Our battle is not against faces of people. Our battle is against forces. And what cancel culture does, what it's been doing for all time, is it causes us to confuse faces and forces. And so, we need a face, don't we? We need a face. Herod needed a face. And so as he looked around, he said, I know how I can do it. Based on what I've learned from the Magi, anybody, any boy two years of age and under could be him. And so he had him destroyed. It's what we'll do. It's what we'll do. And it's a very slow stepping toward it. Now, you read this and you just think, oh my goodness, like, what do you do about this? You know, you look around and you've got, you've got the Magi are seeking God. I mean, the chapter starts in an incredible spot. The Magi are seeking, seek, excuse me, seeking God. You know, the priests and the teachers are ignoring God. And Herod is opposing God. He's trying to destroy him because he's affecting his kingdom. And as you look around at what's going on, as you look through the progression of, of chapter 2 here, you see it. Herod and you and me, we place the king of our wants on the throne of our lives, don't we? You see, this is why that, that phrase that we, we learned from Jesus when we pray, thy kingdom come, not only does it butt up against our comforts, but it has to be combined with another statement. Thy kingdom come always has to be combined with my kingdom go. Because as long as I'm holding on to my kingdom, then, then thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come will always disturb us. And our human nature will not be to just surrender. It'll be to ignore, to manipulate, to destroy. Thy kingdom come always has to be combined with my kingdom go. Now, what does that look like? You know, if you're like me, it's easy to like go home and it's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna put together for a, a plan for my kingdom go. And so in light of what we've heard today, you might be thinking, okay, well, I'll just, I'll be more aware. I'll just stop ignoring what God's up to as much. You know, I'll be a little more aware. Maybe I'll try to be more honest in my dealings. And when I talk about God, and when I talk about Jesus, I'll, I'll try not to use churchy words. And, and I'll just really be, I'll be more kind. I'm, I'm just going to like muster up the strength to be more kind so that I don't, I don't destroy what God's up to. See, that's, that's not the answer. I mean, it's natural to think that's the answer. But there's a clue in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. Let me come back to it here for a moment. <clears throat> Listen to what it says here. He sent them to Bethlehem. I just want you to notice what Herod's up to here. 
He sent them. Herod didn't go. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search. Not Herod going and searching. You go and search, he said to them. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. See, you want to know what, you want to know what Herod's problem is? It's not discipline. It's not, I'm just going to ignore less. I'm going to manipulate less. I'm going to be less destructive. It's not the mustering up of human will and strength. The problem is not discipline. The problem, as you, as you read what Herod said there, is distance. You notice how arm's length Matthew 2 verse 8 is? You go find him. You encounter him. And then report to me. You know, don't come share and invite me into it. Just report to me. I just want the cold hard facts about this king. And he stayed at arm's length. And I would suspect that the issue for us, when we're putting up defenses like ignoring what God's up to, manipulating our relationship with him, and maybe even destroying what we don't like, is not discipline. It's distance. And what's the solution for distance? It's get closer. It's get closer. In other words, don't dismiss the disturbance. Close the distance. You know, if it may very well be that God wants to upset some things in our lives in order to make us aware of what he's up to. And the answer is not going to be, the, the way we arrive there is not going to be, I'll just be a little more disciplined. It's closing the distance between us and our Savior. And saying, Lord, what do you want me to see? You know, at this point, you probably are thinking, well, I'll just read the Bible more and I'll pray. But see, it's more than that. When you come to the word, as we talked about just, what, a month and a half, two months ago? It's not just being in the word. I mean, the priests and the teachers of the law in Jerusalem, they knew the word. But they didn't obey it. So you want to get closer to Jesus? Read the word, know the word, obey the word. What does he say? Not, I'm going to come up with my way to kind of like pick a little of this and a little of that. Yeah, read it. Know it, obey it. Ask him to illuminate it. And when we pray, it's not, Lord, support my kingdom. It's, Lord, show me what you're doing. Show me your kingdom. Show me where I can step into that. See, it's a proximity thing. Don't dismiss the disturbance. Close the distance. I was reminded, um, and I don't know, I think now they've got like, It's way more technologically advanced than when I was in in school. But do you guys remember in home economics, did you guys have this thing where you had to learn how to care for a baby? Okay, so nowadays you get this doll and it's got like a port on it that it's got a computer chip inside and you can like plug that thing in at the end of a student's week with it and they can detect like how much it's been jostled around, how it's been treated, if it was fed. I I don't even know how it all works with with a doll, okay? That's how, that's how it is now. When I was in high school or maybe it was even junior high, it was a bag of flour, which I actually think is more effective. Because when you carry around a bag of flour, I mean, what do you have to do? You got to be gentle with it. Now, here's the problem. Those of us who did not have home ec class, everybody we saw carrying a bag of flour was a target. 
So you've heard of book drops where like people would be carrying a binder and you'd just, you'd smack their books out. That week was incredible and the janitors hated us because there was flowers spilled all over the carpets of Columbine High School. It was amazing. And so, we, you know, we'd go by and we'd try to, it's, it's like you hear when a football player fumbles and the coach says, you're going to carry this ball around. And if anybody knocks it out of your hand, you're running laps at practice. So we would just, it was like footballs in everybody's arms. We're just trying to make them fumble. Anyhow, here's, here's my point. It's very easy when you're not the one holding the baby to be very arm's length, isn't it? Isn't it easy to do this? Isn't it easy to stay cold and callous toward those that we're distant from, who think differently than us? Isn't it easy to be cold and callous and in straight-arm God? When I come across something in his word, a command of Jesus, whatever it is, that isn't really comfortable, that isn't really something that I would naturally want to do, that might have consequences, isn't it easy to just stay at arm's distance? So we ignore, we manipulate, we destroy. But see, if you were the one carrying that bag of flour, you know what? You begin to really care for it. Oh, I remember over the week, what began as a bag of flour soon, like as the week would go on, you'd see like bags of flour swaddled in a blanket. People drawing faces on their bag of flour. You want to know why? Because it's no longer a bag of flour to them. Because they've gotten close with it. See, if God was really out to destroy your life, if he was really out to oppose you at every turn, as it can feel when we get uncomfortable and we have our kingdoms disturbed, why would he show up as a vulnerable, defenseless baby? If he was out to destroy, would he not have shown up as a fire-breathing dragon or something like that? And yet he showed up as a baby. Because what, what does just the image of a baby laying there in a manger say? Come closer. Come closer. Hold the baby. Pick up the baby. Don't dismiss the disturbance. Close the distance. That's what it looks like to say, thy kingdom come and my kingdom go. And finally, as the worship team comes back up, I mean, I got to practice what I preach. And so, honey, I am committed to carrying this around for a little bit and driving around with it a little bit. And it might fly out the window on the way home. All right. (laughs) Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that when it comes to your kingdom, we are probably not even aware of what we're not aware of. We probably don't even know what we don't know. And so, Lord... As we ignore, maybe without realizing it, as we manipulate, you know, for the appearance and not even realizing it, as we destroy without even realizing it, Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you would open our eyes to it instead of doing away with us. And so, Lord, where we're tempted to put together a self-improvement plan when we walk out of here instead, Lord, just draw us closer to you whether it's just you illuminating your word this week, whether it's praying differently and and not just praying for what we want, but saying, Lord, I truly pray for what you want in the situation, in in my field of view. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would remind us that you are faithful to do that work. 
if we'll pay attention. And so open our eyes this week. And Lord, we pray that Matthew 2 would continue to just nourish and stir and nudge our hearts in the week to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name.